I'll mention that we've just pulled together our, our plan about you know, five minutes before, so I apologize for running in late. Um, I think we have a topic where um, we don't have the problem of things that people are trying to hide and not uh, allow uh, <laughs> us to know. Um, we have a universe that uh, would, would love it if we could figure it out. And, it's uh, actually hidden from us. So. <laughs> exactly. So it's a slightly, a slightly different uh, style. And we thought what we might do is, is just a round robin of asking each other questions as a starting point. And then, of course, my guess is that this will trigger questions uh, elsewhere if we, if we have time. So we're going to st start off with me asking Lisa. Um, the, there's a styles of how we do the science um, that uh, we, Adam and I both are the experimentalists um, who are uh, you know, spending our lives trying to measure things, and, and Lisa is the theorist. And so I was going to ask her to maybe just say a word about uh, what, what it means to be doing theory that, um, in, to start with, <laughs> but, um, but, but then uh, you know, how she went from the study of the fundamentals of the universe, the, uh, the, the, the physics of how the, of how the world works, to the cosmology questions. Okay, so uh, first of all, I do want to just thank everyone and uh, say thank you for being here. I mean, and if you were confused why you were invited now, you can imagine as a high school student how confused I was. And so I think I was really lucky to be here a couple of times. Um, but in terms of universe, you know, I think I should also just say that you know, it's very hard to just dive into theoretical physics from all these other issues we're discussing. But one thing that is always really encouraging to me is that you know, science is some place where we really make progress. You know, all these other issues, we have these really messy debates. And, you know, we, we are not even sure where we're going. But here, we really have something. And we're talking about time scales that are just hard to wrap your head around. And we're talking about billions of years. And we're talking about how we got to be here over billions of years. And as a theoretical physicist, I get to ask questions like that. I get to ask questions like, what is stuff made of? Like, really, if we dug down into matter, what is there? And what are the fundamental forces at work? Because you know, one of the other things that we see at a very small level, even in what we just heard, is that you know, there's just things that seem obvious to us. We see things in our daily lives. But that's not what's really going on at a deeper level. And that's what it seems to us. That's what our intuition gives us, because those are the scales we see. But as a particle physicist, I get to dig down to really smaller scales. And again, I very much benefit from the work of experimenters and observers who are finding out what we see. But then how do we put that together? What is the story behind it that allows us to understand what's at the fundamental nature of matter? That actually, the amazing thing is that I'm a particle physicist, but I also get to do cosmology, which will bring me back to what these guys do. Because I get to think about what's out there in the universe. Because actually, what's out there in the universe is also fundamental particles. There is also, there are also basic stuff out there. And, and understanding how particles work, how forces work, how things interact. We get to ask questions also about what is the nature of space and time, and what is actually out there. And the amazing thing that was just alluded to is that a good part of it is stuff that isn't all of us. You know, it's funny because when I, I do some public speaking, and a lot of people are like, "How are we really sure there's dark matter?" Um, like, are we? And to me, it's amazing that the amount of the matter that we're made of is as big a part of the universe as it is. So just to set the scale, the stuff that we're made of is about 5% of the energy out there in the universe. Dark matter, which is matter that clumps together, forms galaxies, et cetera, just like our matter, is just matter, but it doesn't interact with light. That's the difference between it. So we don't see it. It interacts gravitationally, but we don't see it. But on top of that, 70% of the universe is dark energy, which brings me back to asking you, how did we find out about dark energy? Right. So um, I got involved and in. And what is it? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, 
We don't know. Back to you. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I got involved in this whole area because uh, I, w I wanted to understand if we could know such a thing. What is the fate of the universe? What's the origin? What's the faint fate? And uh, I had thought as a kid, this is the question you ask your clergyman or your rabbi or you know your philosophers. Um, and so I was amazed when I first got into physics to find that you could actually make measurements and learn this. Uh, I was the kind of kid growing up who, uh, you know, I'd ride in the back of the car on the way down the New Jersey Parkway to the beach, and most kids ask, you know, are we there yet? And I found I could look out the window at the mile markers, and I could figure out for myself, you know, when we're going to get there, are we there yet? I was fascinated by the ability to collect measurements about the world and answer the questions that I had. And so when I first got into physics, I learned that we can make measurements about the universe that will tell us what its fate is. And it's because of this amazing fact about the universe that I think most of you know, when we look out, we are looking back in time because the distances are so great that the light we see emanated from whatever we're looking at a very long time ago. So there is a built-in time machine in the universe. One can look back in time and see how the universe is progressing on this trip down the New Jersey Turnpike um, and what's ultimately going to happen. And so uh, I was fascinated to just be involved in making those kinds of measurements. So uh, in the early 1990s, I got involved in looking at exploding stars called supernovae, which are kind of the cosmic mile markers that we have. And we use them to make uh, measurements of the history of the expanding universe. And we fully expected that the expansion after the Big Bang was slowing down, that we were, in essence, figuring out how much of this dark matter that Lisa talked about was out there. The real question was, is there a lot? And it's slowing down the expansion. It's going to stop, and it will start to collapse. And the fate of the universe is the reverse of the Big Bang? Or is there very little, and it will expand forever? And uh, I'm going to uh, break the story there and turn to Saul so he can uh, tell you what was so surprising in this discovery. Do you want to share what you're... And, and, I, and I should say that the, uh, the, this question was a, for me, it was exactly the kind of question that I always had wanted to be able to answer because uh, it's getting at something that seems you know, philosophical, as, as, as Adam was alluding to. And the mix of the philosophical conclusions that you could draw was wonderful. I, you were able to go out make this measurement of the brightness of these actual existing things, these exploding stars, you can go measure their, their brightness, and it could tell you, um, you know, we, we're looking forward to it telling us, will we live in a universe that will someday come to a halt in its expansion and collapse, or will it expand forever? And it would also tell us whether we lived, we thought, whether we lived in a universe that was infinite, that goes on forever, or in some spooky way, is there only a finite amount of real estate out there? And uh, that at the end of the day, you know, I guess prices will go up. You know? um, and, <laughs> And it, it was all happening, you know, we were getting to the point of collecting this data. It took us a long, actually, we thought it was going to be a three-year project. By the end of three years, we still hadn't found our first very distant supernova. Um, it was uh, nine years in before we actually had the data in hand and we were analyzing it. And we were about to see uh, you know, what, what the fate of the universe was going to be just before the millennium. So we could walk around with these little signs, you know, saying the universe is coming to an end or not, you know, depending on what we, what we found. Uh, and we put the points in the plot. And it turned out that it was not slowing down enough to come to a halt and then collapse, but it was not even slowing down at all. It was actually speeding up. And so that was this huge surprise. It was, we didn't have the, you know, that was not part of the physics that we were considering at that point um, in, in the story. And so you were sometimes lucky to get a really, really good problem to work on. And I think we, we, we felt that way. Our groups uh, were you know, thrilled about the, the opportunity to work on a problem that we really cared about. 
But the chance that that will turn into something even luckier, that you'll get a surprise that possibly reveals something that we uh, hadn't accounted for in these fundamental physics stories up to this point in this way, was just tremendous. And so I think we felt, you know, it, the world could not have gone better in terms of uh, tre treating us nicely and, and allowing us to see a little glimpse at something. Now, you know, in some sense, it actually brings us back to the theory again, in a sense, because the physics has been doing too well in some ways. We've gotten to the point where we can understand so many things to so many level, details of precision that's harder to see where the cracks are to, you know, to climb up the, this, this wall of, of, of knowledge, uh, you know, to, where to get the footholds next. And so we were hoping is that this kind of surprise gives us a chance at, at a, again, at some of the, you know, the footholds to the next stage. So that turns, I think, naturally to the question that we want to ask each other next, which is, what next? What directions are you, are you looking to go to? Where would you like to go next in this? So, you know, and that's a great question. And because, you know, we have these big questions that all of us have. And then you have sort of the smaller things that actually allow you to make progress. I mean, the, what's amazing is, I mean, you were studying supernovas to measure the expansion of the universe. You weren't thinking you were going to measure this new component of energy out there in the universe. You thought you were going to be just measuring the rate of deceleration, a very mundane thing, so, you know, at some level. At some level. <laughs> just, just the fate of the universe and the infinite, yeah. but other than that. Yeah. But it's a long time away, let's yeah. face it. Yeah. I'm also really disappointed to find that the universe is New Jersey. Yes, that's right. New <laughs> Jersey has that. a very important role in the universe. <laughs> um, that's where the Big Bang was discovered, actually. So. But, where it happened. But I think for, for me today, I mean, where we really have a chance of truly understanding at a theoretical level what's going on is in the dark matter. I mean, dark energy is out there. I mean, something Einstein taught us, basically before Einstein, the absolute energy just didn't matter. You know, if you took any kind of science class, you might have learned about relative energy, how much energy you lose going from one place to another or in, in kinetic or, or potential energy. But Einstein taught us that the absolute energy matters. And that's what's driving an expansion or a collapse of the universe, the amount of energy out there. A good part of it is in this substance called dark matter, which is matter. It's matter. It's stuff. So it's stuff in principle we should understand. It interacts. It follows the same sorts of rules we follow. But it just doesn't have interact via all the forces we do. And the really nice thing about thinking about dark matter is it really forces you to think about sort of what are your prejudices when you come at matter? I mean, why, what, what could it be like? I mean, people think, well, it's, it's dark matter, so therefore it has no interactions. Um, there's some evidence that it has fewer interactions than ours. But what we really know is it doesn't interact like our matter. So one of the things I think we can really make progress on, and something I'm pretty excited about today, is really getting to know dark matter a little bit better. I mean, there are, there are measurements out there to try to find at a fundamental level what dark matter is composed of. What is it? Does it have any interactions like the one we know? But another thing we can learn about, I mean, right now, what's really different, too, is we have these enormous data sets about the galaxy. We're measuring the shape of the galaxy. We're measuring what is the potential, what's there. And dark matter, among its many other roles, it actually helps create structure in the universe. And by structure, I mean galaxies, <coughs> galaxy clusters. It's what leads to eventually we'll have stars that collapse and become our sun, our solar system. It's really the stuff we're made of. And dark matter played a big role in driving it. I mean, I'm writing this book now. I sort of make a joke that it's like kind of the underclasses that we forget about. You know, it's not the powerful part like the normal matter, which is only a small percentage, but really rules our world at some level. But it was essential to building it up, getting the galaxies there. And the question is, by studying this structure, can we learn more what the nature of dark matter is? Can we really find out about its interactions, not just with us, but with itself? 
by studying how it's influenced the development of structure. And that's actually something we can really, truly learn about today. We are measuring the structure of a galaxy, and we can learn about has it affected even motions of comets in our solar system as it passes through the plane of the galaxy. There are many things that we're, we haven't really asked that are out there. And basically, just by getting rid of this prejudice and saying dark matter must be boring, because we don't see the interactions, it can't have any. And really just going out and studying what is that? And so there's two ways we're going to learn about dark matter. We're going to learn about all of it, the stuff that's the spherical halo around our universe, but we might learn about this smaller component. And just before I go on, again, I just want to emphasize that, you know, usually you say, why should I care about the small component? You know, we don't even know what most of it is. But you could say the same thing about ordinary matter. I mean, we are only 5% of the energy of the universe. We're only 15% of the energy of matter. Yet we care a lot about it because it influences so many things. And maybe the same is true for some aspects of dark matter. Yeah, I was actually so, going to add uh, to dark energy. We have a similar feeling that uh, dark energy is roughly about two-thirds of the universe. And it's been likened to imagine you lived on land and the first time you came out and saw water and the oceans and the seas. And you were like, what is that, right? That is, that expresses the level of ignorance we had until the moment that we discovered this. And we still don't know what the, you know, fish and flora are that live in the dark energy. We don't know the properties. We don't know the nature. I mean, we have a hint from Einstein, one very important hint that, you know, it's still our best hint. But uh, Saul and I are engaged in the process of trying to collect more precise measurements to really get down to you know, what exactly is the strength of the dark energy and how long lived is the dark energy? Has it always been in the universe? Um, there's uh, one very important theory in uh, cosmology about how the Big Bang occurred. And part of that uh, has or requires that there's an episode of dark energy existing in the beginning. So we question, is the dark energy we see today related to that episode? Is it some kind of echo of that episode? Does this happen from time to time? This gets really down to the question of uh, ultimately, not just what is the fate of our universe, but did our universe have to progress in this way? Um, how did it progress that allowed life to form in it, for example? We can all imagine many ways that dark energy could have existed, that it would have accelerated apart all the structures in the universe, the planets, the stars, the galaxies, before we ever would have been able to form. And so how did the universe know to tune things just right so that we could form? And this has led to people, I'm going to say like Lisa, I don't know if you'll agree with this, to hypothesize that the only explanation really is that there must be many universes which are trying out all kinds of combinations. The only thing I would say is I would get rid of the only because it's the only one we know about. Right. But that it would, um, our universe is, would be special only because we were able to form in it and come to the realization, wow, we're here. The laws seem so perfect. But there could be all these stillborn universes where the laws are not right to support life. There's nobody in there to question their bad luck. And so I think for Saul and I, we find it very exciting. You know, we day to day make you know, very minor measurements. We look through telescopes, not with our eyes, but with, uh, we analyze data. But we know that it's touching on these really big questions. And uh, those are the things that really fire us up.